0: The healthcare sector is a valuable contributor to economies in the Asia Pacific region, but it is also one of the largest emitters of greenhouse gases. Globally, the healthcare sector is responsible for around 5% of greenhouse gas emissions. If this sector was a country, it would be the fifth largest emitter on the planet. With a footprint like this, there is an imperative for this sector to act.
1: I think digital uh, health definitely offers a lot of. Promise not just in terms of sustainability, lowering the carbon footprint of healthcare and digital health is not only contributing to mitigation, but it also can be a climate adaptation uh, response of the health sector as well. Yeah, I think
2: I think first and foremost we need to understand where the main sources of emissions, right, that's actually coming from uh, the healthcare sector.
3: If you can um, help patients to recover uh, in their home settings, uh, while at the same time guaranteeing uh, sufficient monitoring so that you can intervene um, or get them back if needed. This also has significant impact on the environmental footprint.
0: This is Healthcare Redefined, a podcast which explores the vital issues driving digital change and innovation in the healthcare sector in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Elizabeth Suka, Senior Research Manager at Economist Impact. This podcast has been commissioned by Philips. Welcome to our final podcast of the series, where we will explore what is driving emissions in the healthcare sector, to what extent greenhouse gas reporting is taking place and what mitigation and adaptation efforts are needed. Should there be a focus on renewable energy sources or buying medical goods from sustainable suppliers? And can digital models of care be utilised in this new push for decarbonisation? Globally, 30% of healthcare emissions come from the East Asia-Pacific region, according to a recent Arab report. And this region is behind others in its net-zero healthcare plans. Of course there are local initiatives, but the big reveal came in the COP26 meeting in November 2021. An ambitious program was announced, which included developing sustainable, low-carbon health systems. High emitters were expected to commit to a set target date to achieve net zero emissions, ideally by 2050. Some countries in the Asia-Pacific region signed up, including the island state of Fiji, with a population of around 900,000, and Indonesia, with 274 million-odd citizens. But others were glaringly missing, such as Australia, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore and South Korea, just to name a few. Playing catch-up? Yes. But let's not be too harsh. Look at Europe, for instance. The trailblazer is the UK with a clear decarbonisation healthcare plan and net zero targets, but other countries do not have these. I am very pleased to welcome my three guests. Dr. Renzo Ginto. Chief Planetary Health Specialist at the Sunway Center for Planetary Health, Malaysia, and Director of the Planetary and Global Health Program at St. Luke's Medical Center in the Philippines. Dr. Renard Su, Climate Reality Leader for the Climate Reality Project and Climate Change Advisor at the Center for Governance and Political Studies. And Robert Metzke, Global Head of Sustainability at Philips. A big welcome to everyone. I would like us to take a big view and look at the Asia-Pacific healthcare sector and this trajectory in meeting net zero. Which countries are standing out? Which ones are not doing a great deal? Also, how much the sector contributes to greenhouse gases? Renzo, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, thank you very much for having me in this conversation. Asia-Pacific, in terms of building climate smart climate-resilient health systems. I think there are some positive examples, stories, Uh, that we can already identify in the region. So we're not starting from scratch. Although, you know, what you mentioned a while ago, that only two countries in the Western Pacific region actually committed to the COP26 uh, health program that was launched last year in Glasgow. I think we need to do better. So, for instance, um, here in the Philippines, uh, a country that has been frequented by you know, more than 20 typhoons each year. These typhoons are growing uh, in number and in severity. I think a lot of hospitals here have already uh, begun incorporating uh, resilience uh, initiatives and measures, uh, making sure that hospitals are the last buildings standing when these extreme weather events uh, do strike. But when it comes to decarbonizing the health sector, decarbonizing our healthcare facilities, I think that's that's still a big challenge, especially in the low and middle income countries that are in the region. Um, many hospitals in this region do not even have access to reliable electricity to begin with. And so how can they start, um, you know, thinking about decarbonizing, reducing their carbon footprint, when in fact they're still, you know, these facilities are still very much wanting or in dire need of, you know, facilities, uh, infrastructure to make sure that there's electricity in the operating uh, theatre or that uh, there's, um, you know, the presence of reliable supply chains, for instance, for, for vaccines, as we are now seeing during the pandemic.
0: Thank you for that, Renzo. Renard, are there any particular countries in the region that stand out for you? Is there any particular country that you think should be doing much more in this area?
2: Yeah, I would say that in the Asia Pacific region, like it's a bit of a mixed bag. There are certain countries that definitely stand out like Singapore, for example. A lot of the publicly listed uh hospitals, for instance, do have quite mature reporting when it comes to their carbon emission practices, but I would say perhaps not so much uh with the other neighboring countries. Um especially if there are small-medium enterprises, because we are looking at the healthcare sector in totality, not just hospitals, but also those that are involved in manufacturing of uh, equipments and transportation, uh, among many other things. And, and these small SMEs, uh, I would say, tend to fall behind uh, the curve in terms of you know just struggling to really report um, and, and monitor how much carbon emissions are they actually emitting year uh, on year. And this is really where the challenge is, you know, like what what we call the Scope 3 emissions. Uh, The reality is that if we want to tackle climate change as an issue in totality, we have to, you know, like really focus on on making sure that all ecosystem players actually do their part in in reporting and monitoring and mitigating the the impacts of climate change.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Scope 3 carbon emissions, as this is a new language that the healthcare sector will need to get to grips with Scope 1 covers direct emissions from owned sources. Scope 2 covers indirect emissions from the generation of purchased electricity and heating, cooling consumed by an organisation. And Scope 3 includes all other indirect emissions that occur in the supply chain. In the healthcare sector, the majority of the emissions come from Scope 3. Robert, how do you see the emissions of the healthcare sector?
3: So if you look at the global context, then on average, the healthcare industry is, I think, about contributing something like 4% to the global emissions, which sounds not so much, but it's actually more than airlines or shipping lines, and especially in the developed countries and also in the region uh, in Asia-Pacific that is closer to 8 to 10%. Um, so I think if you ask uh, who can do a lot, um, the more advanced the countries, uh, the more they are currently already emitting. But if you want to extend healthcare to uh, those 3.5 billion people, half of mankind that do not have access to quality healthcare, uh, many of them uh, in asia pacific also we need to find ways to reduce the carbon emissions um also in the advanced uh, countries and maybe not say first access uh, and then decarbonization but find solutions to leapfrog um and also start uh, with digital solutions uh, in these developing countries that have a lower carbon impact per, per treatment uh, to find ways forwards to provide sustainable and accessible healthcare ones so in the asia pacific sector i would say it's really remarkable that actually um, that is a region in the world that is extremely exposed also to uh, uh, global climate change. So there, there is a lot uh, that needs to happen in terms both of uh, reducing emissions but also uh, reducing impacts. So if you look, for instance at uh, Australia, um, the impact um, of the country's or the country's healthcare sector is about 7% of national emissions. I think uh, that is something like uh, 35,36 uh, megatons uh, of CO2 equivalents uh, per year which is large and um, there's quite a lot of room for improvement. But if you look at uh, recent reports also from uh, from the UN, then you see that the major challenges for that are actually in the, not just limiting uh, a lack of financing and lack of clear vision and cooperation between public and private sectors, but also really uh, institutional barriers um, and a lack of uh, regulatory frameworks to reduce emissions from carbon and effectively monitor and verify the emission levels.
0: Thank you, Robert. Renzo, let's look at Scope 1 emissions, and perhaps healthcare systems might feel they have some control over that. Where can the greatest gains be made in Scope 1, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think, you know, one area where we can make, you know, huge difference is when it comes to reduction of anesthetic gases in the healthcare system in the operating theatre. I think now among the anesthesiologists, there are vigorous discussions already happening as to you know which specific anesthetic gases can be uh, promoted that are good for the patients but also good for the planet as well. So I think that's one area. But also I think you know in terms of um, you know green building design, you know really lowering the carbon footprint that uh, is emitted by our buildings. Uh, many of our buildings within the healthcare system are not just you know causing um, emissions but also you know there's a concept called uh, sick buildings because they're also making people kind of you know feeling distressed and uh, you know the workplace is not conducive for uh healthy and um, you know for good well-being among both the workers and the patients alike so i think these are just two arenas where we can really uh, start uh, lowering the emissions of healthcare under the Scope 1 category.
0: I am glad you raised anaesthetic gases, which are powerful greenhouse gases. Renard, what's your take on Scope 1? What areas in Scope 1 would you like to see more attention?
2: First and foremost, we need to understand where are the main sources of emissions that's actually coming from uh, the healthcare sector. I think a large majority of this primarily comes from uh, the usage of hospital uh, equipments, so you have some medical technical equipment like MRI, x ray which are very energy intensive then they 're also building equipments like you know your autoclaves, uh, decontaminators, uh, fume carpets, among many other things and, and then there 's also the wider supply chain like around you know like uh, transportation for example that 's company owned uh, vehicles by hospitals directly all of this basically meet uh, direct emissions into the atmosphere. And I think there's also a lot of opportunity, right, for product innovation in this space to really look at, you know, how um, some of these hospital equipments can be designed in such a way whereby they're more energy efficient. And also to Renzo's point, I think there is something to be said about the need to actually push for green building retrofits. I have to say that currently in Asia Pacific, this is at the moment, if we look at uh, this region, it's not really mandatory. So uh, hospitals, basically, the they, owners, they have a say in whether they, they want to actually adhere to some of this uh, green certification standards or not. And I think this is really an area that we have to push for because I think it would definitely result in a huge amounts of um, emissions reduction directly from hospitals.
0: Thank you for that. Robert, how can we support innovative business models create carbon-neutral models, and embed circular practices. What's out there? What's the industry thinking in terms of these areas?
3: Um, We know at a global scale that about half of the reductions in emissions um, that we need, need to come from circular models. Uh, which means better use of materials going away from this uh, linear make and waste uh, society to uh, closing the loop, basically, and reusing precious materials. If you look at the healthcare industry specifically, then I think on average we have a waste of 13 kilograms of waste per bed per day in a hospital. Uh, That's at least numbers that uh, that, that I'm aware of. So that's that's massive. Um, So if you ask me what can hospitals do, um, and you just uh, talked about uh, scope one also, Uh, I think it starts in hospital indeed with um, energy efficient equipment uh, that can be addressed through the manufacturers, uh, for instance, with eco-design programs. Uh, But indeed, uh, scope two and uh, scope three also means addressing the embedded carbon. If you look at these huge machines, an MR scanner, which weighs many tons Uh, of material that are captured in these huge magnets then you can imagine how much energy is it has taken to get to the hospital to extract all these materials from the earth um, transport them make them into magnets and so forth operate them so there it's really important also to extend the technical life cycle of these things and to design for instance uh, machines in a different way in a modular way so that you can reuse the magnet uh, and not just use it maybe for five years or seven years or 10 years, but maybe even 15 years.
0: Thank you for that, Robert. I like this idea of extending the technical life cycle of equipment. The UK's National Health Service has produced a net zero supplier map. From 2027, all suppliers will be required to report targets and emissions and publish a carbon reduction plan aligned to net zero targets. And from 2030 suppliers will only be able to qualify for NHS contracts if they can show progress through published reports. Renzo, you work at the St Luke's Medical Centre. Are they asking suppliers to provide products that meet certain green credentials? Are hospitals in the Philippines asking similar questions of suppliers, or is this an early conversation still?
1: I think hospitals and the healthcare systems as a whole are now starting to think about how can we make sure that we procure these uh, commodities, these materials that we require for healthcare provision in a way that is sustainable, that is respectful of the planet's boundaries so that we are not doing any further harm to the planet as we also, um, you know, improve and take care of our human patients. So I think that consciousness is is starting. And sure, you know, in terms of devices and, you know, medicines, I think that's an area where green procurement. is is starting to really gain traction. Uh, But there's one area where uh, there's also room for more innovation. And, you know, very few hospitals, not just in Asia and the Pacific, but also globally are starting to uh, look into this. And, you know, what I'm referring to is the area of, of food, because hospitals are also providing food to their patients and to their staff. You know everyone who goes to the hospital and uh, to healthcare facilities will will require some sustenance. Um, and so how can we make sure that even the food that we provide are also sustainably produced in a low carbon
0: fashion? That's an important call out on food waste in hospitals as it's not often addressed. Robert, picking up on this idea of sustainable procurement, can you comment on what role suppliers need to play in this and how healthcare systems can better deal with scope 2 emissions, that is, emissions around energy? Perhaps healthcare systems feel they have very little control over trying to source renewable electricity or gas. Philips is also having to address scope 2 emissions. So what lessons can we learn from the industry here?
3: So if hospital chains also signal to their suppliers that they understand this deep connection between planetary health and human health um, and uh, this broad understanding of the oath of doing no harm, um, then they can also uh, articulate much clearer to their suppliers what they expect and how to reduce, help them reduce their scope two and three uh, emissions. So that comes to us then in terms of uh, green procurement uh, requests, for instance, or tender requests. Uh, Elizabeth, you mentioned uh, the NHS, for instance, I think uh, just recently uh, stepped up and decides to allocate 20 to 40% of their tender points, so to say, uh, to, towards sustainable uh, criteria, including planetary uh, but also social impact criteria, which is fantastic. Uh, we see that also amongst the health leaders, key opinion leaders globally, uh, this is an, a topic that is really top of their mind. Uh, so, all this helps to convey the message to the supply chains of the hospitals. And then, of course, uh, um, we are, uh, as a technology provider, a part of these supply chains. So what we do, for instance, uh, we produce globally carbon neutral since 2020. We have our own wind farms. We use 100% uh, renewable electricity globally uh, we've power purchasing agreements. We share these insights also with our suppliers.
0: I like that idea of the wind farms.
3: Yeah, exactly. So we have wind farms in the United States, uh, for instance, here in the Netherlands, um, and power purchasing agreements in many other parts of the world. We have a program to phase out fossil fuels all across uh, Philips. We uh, use an internal carbon price, for instance, to have these signals. So, all of that helps uh, to create that awareness um, and be able to um, offer uh, products, services, and solutions that help uh, the hospital to reduce their
0: emissions. Great point. Thank you for that, Robert. Renzo, I would like to pick up on this idea of wind farms and other cleaner energy sources, such as solar energy. How much control can healthcare systems have over scope 2 emissions and their sources of electricity?
1: So, the healthcare system th- does not have full control over the electric grid or the power plants. But certainly, we do have the power, and I said we because I'm part of the healthcare sector as well, we do have the power to influence decision making, energy, you know, in, in energy policy, energy related investments. Um, And, you know, in the Philippines, we always say that we are so gifted with lots of renewable energy options. In fact, they can be summarized in an acronym. It's called BIG Show: B, Biomass, G for Geothermal, S for Solar, H for Hydroelectric. O for ocean thermal, W for wind. And, you know, you mentioned the wind farms. So it's part of the big show. They're all existing, not just in the Philippines, but in many countries in the Asia-Pacific region. But they remain largely underutilized. You know, a lot of the Asia-Pacific countries are still building coal plants despite their commitments under the Paris Agreement and also the more recent Glasgow Pact. And so how can hospitals be the driver of energy policy, you know, transformation? I think we should be using the health evidence that we have that he- renewable energy is healthy energy. They emit less, uh, not just greenhouse gases, but also different kinds of air pollutants, uh, these noxious uh, gases that we emit. Uh, to the atmosphere that kill our lungs and our hearts. And also, I think we need to walk the talk within the healthcare sector. So, you know, last year I conducted a very rapid case study uh, analysis of several hospitals in the Philippines that already embraced solar power. And it's quite amazing to hear, you know, the different enablers, why they committed to solar. It it starts with high level leadership. You know, the CEO must be believing in this endeavor.
0: Healthcare Redefined is a podcast series commissioned by Philips. And now here is a word from our sponsor. Since 2016, Philips has supported original research to help determine the readiness of countries to address global health challenges and build efficient and effective health systems. The Future Health Index focuses on the crucial role digital tools and connected care technology can play in delivering more affordable, integrated and sustainable healthcare. With almost 3,000 healthcare leaders surveyed across 15 countries, the 2022 Future Health Index focuses on how data and advanced analytics are giving healthcare providers new tools which enhance their ability to deliver care to all sectors of their communities, both in and out of traditional hospital Settings. Click the link in the show notes to access the report. The COVID pandemic accelerated the uptake of digitalisation in the healthcare sector. But to what extent can virtual care or telehealth become future models of care, while at the same time helping healthcare systems to decarbonise? Studies indicate that telemedicine does reduce the carbon footprint of healthcare primarily by reducing transport-associated emissions. It would seem sensible for policymakers to assess the potential of digital health as a climate change mitigation and adaptation strategy. Using digital health as a climate policy may motivate Asia-Pacific leaders to commit to it. It could also offer other benefits, such as reduced costs, increased access to healthcare, and improved quality, as we have heard in the previous episodes of this series. Robert, how do you view digitalization and digital models of care in terms of decarbonization and sustainability?
3: Thanks. I think they cut on many sides. So it's very interesting to see that digitalization does not only make healthcare more accessible, but I think it really also helps to drive uh, and enables lower footprints. It starts with Optimizing care flows, if you can treat patients outside of hospitals, which are very energy intensive, um, if you can help patients to recover uh, in their home settings while at the same time guaranteeing uh, sufficient monitoring so that you can intervene or get them back if needed. This also has significant impact on the environmental footprint, so that's just one of the benefits. Then think about patient flow scheduling, uh, which is i mean if you look at the patient journey hospitals how arduous they are sometimes right you have to come back to make an appointment then to come back for the diagnostics, come back for the treatment so if you optimize these uh, these flows in a hospital, uh, you reduce the logistical movements and also it's much less hassle for the uh, for the patient a much pleasant more pleasant journey so there are many examples um where this type of digital solutions have direct impact on the patient experience, on the clinical outcomes and on the environmental side.
0: Thank you for that. Renzo, are you in agreement with that? Can digital services have a major impact on greenhouse gas emissions and sustainability in our healthcare systems? I think
1: digital uh, health definitely offers a lot of Promise, not just in terms of sustainability, lowering the carbon footprint of healthcare, uh, but also, for instance, uh, as already mentioned a while ago, bridging uh, long standing divides in healthcare access. We've seen that here in the Philippines, you can imagine we are a country of 7,000 islands, but now digital health is already uh, providing uh, healthcare access, primary care access to many Filipinos who live in uh, far-flung areas which, by the way, are also affected by climate change. And so, you know, digital health is not only contributing to mitigation, but it also can be a climate adaptation uh, response of the health sector as well. But I think we also need to continuously evaluate digital health because we want to make sure that digital health, first and foremost, is also of high quality, is safe for patients, ensures the effectiveness and efficiency of healthcare provision, in the same way, or uh, as, as while it also reduces the carbon footprint and improves uh, equity in healthcare access. So I guess if we just really look at digital health from a more holistic standpoint, we will definitely reap a lot of benefits. But also we will be able to mitigate some of the perhaps risks or, you know, downside of digital health uh, and avert these challenges when anticipated and well studied.
0: Renard. Do you concur with Renzo? With digital health, we need to assess its risks and benefits. But it seems to tick the climate change mitigation and adaptation boxes. What are your thoughts on it in terms of sustainability?
2: Well, I think if we were looking at this from a climate mitigation perspective, like obviously, if you're cutting down on travel, the need to actually travel to you know clinics or hospitals, there's obviously a huge, you know, savings uh, in terms of, of emissions on that end. But I think it's equally important to also start looking at things from a health uh, equity perspective. Not everyone is granted a similar access to digital health you know, in the Asia-Pacific region, we have about 420 million people still who don't even have basic access, right, to things like electricity, connectivity to the internet. In Malaysia, like a couple of months ago, uh, there was actually a student who had to climb up to the top of a tree just to get connected to the internet. So I think all of these issues really need to be looked at in, in totality. It's sort of a systems thinking approach uh, before we actually decide that, you know, we're going to go, you know, full trunk, like 100% digital. I think Uh, Prior to that, that there needs to be sort of a balance and sort of a traditional traditional way of actually approaching uh, healthcare accessibility versus uh, promoting things like telemedicine.
0: Thank you. Another area that we're probably only starting to think about is how to optimise care pathways so they reduce the environmental impact of treatment. We may start by looking at individual clinical pathways and decide that if two pathways are equivalent in terms of patient optimization, then we would opt for the sustainable one. Renzo, where are we on that discussion trajectory? It seems like it's very early days in my opinion, but I'd like to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of improving care pathways, not just to benefit patients, but also to benefit the planet, this is a new conversation, especially in Asia and the Pacific. But I think part of the conversation should be enhancing uh, our investments in primary care systems because we know that when primary care becomes more accessible to people, then we will be able to detect diseases much earlier and we will be able to avoid overutilization, for instance, of advanced uh, levels of care, which will be beneficial. To the patients themselves, which will be beneficial to the healthcare system in terms of efficiency and cost savings, it will be good for the planet as well, because we know that advanced care requires more electricity and therefore emits more carbon. And so, you know, again, early conversation in terms of the nitty gritty of care pathways. But I think the basic principle is if we invest more in primary care, then uh, we will be benefiting this wide array of benefits that I just mentioned.
0: Usually, hospitals and healthcare systems will produce an annual report looking at the quality of care they provide to patients. Renard and Renzo, how would you describe the progress of the healthcare sector's reporting on sustainability in the Asia-Pacific region?
2: I mean, sustainability reporting has always uh, existed. Like, we're You know, like you have leaders such as uh, the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI. Uh, In fact, there's a whole alphabet soup uh, on frameworks, tools, standards, guidelines that, you know, like we can actually report in terms of uh, how well uh, an organization or a sector is doing in terms of sustainability. And and that in itself uh, seems to be a huge challenge because a lot of the sustainability specialists or people that I've spoken to in the healthcare sector, they say that they're really... um, confused like, with all of this uh, different jargon that has uh, surfaced, like, especially in the past uh, decade. And in fact, there is a need to call for a harmonization of these frameworks to actually ensure that uh, some of the indicators that are reported on are actually comparable, uh, you know, from one hospital to another, for instance, that there is some sort of comparability. Because if you don't have that, it's basically a chicken and, and duck conversation. You cannot actually move the needle Uh, forward in terms of improving transparency on environmental, social, and governance disclosures if you don't have, uh, you know, like hospitals or, you know, the healthcare sector reporting on indicators that are similar.
1: I think this is something that is at the early stage uh, for the region's hospitals. And I think to reinforce what Renard was saying, we need to build internal capacity within the health sector and across hospitals and health facilities in the region to be able to be familiar with the language of sustainability, the metrics that are being used, the way you report, but also how to make sure that you go beyond greenwashing, you know, that you Uh, end up representing, uh, oh, we did this tree planting activity and we started this uh, waste management campaign within our facility. But there are no true and deep, you know, commitments and actions being done to really lower the carbon footprint, lower the emissions and the ecological impact of healthcare throughout its life cycle. And so I think you know, there's a role for uh, health professional schools to be part of this endeavour. We hope to see more training programmes for healthcare leaders to be able to contribute uh, to this uh, endeavour of sustainability reporting.
0: Thank you so much for that. I also think healthcare professionals can act as major advocates of change. This was seen last year where more than 600 organisations representing over 46 million health workers signed the Healthy Climate Letter, calling on national leaders to address the climate crisis. I would like to focus the last part of this discussion on the future. Robert, what do you hope to see in the Asia-Pacific region on sustainability, as it does seem to be very exposed to the effects of climate change?
3: So I would hope that we see a very strong movement of healthcare leaders in the Asia-Pacific region to team up, exchange best practices, agree on clear uh, reporting standards, to also enable that trust, to also reach out to their suppliers and supply chains to build these capabilities and capacities together, um, and also to reach out to the public decision makers to start a dialogue from the patient and care provider perspective about what does sustainable healthcare need, what type of regulation This needs to be in place to facilitate that. And again, climate and CO2 doesn't stop at borders of countries. It's fantastic to see national champions or heroes and great uh, care providers that take the lead. We need that. But at the same time, we also need to reach out, I think, across borders and uh, use the the space in Asia-Pacific to see what can be done in the region together.
0: Thanks for those points. And I like the idea of exchanging best practices. Renard and Renzo, what are your hopes for the future?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to start off with this quote that says that you can't manage what you don't measure. So for me personally, my wish list is to see, you know, Asia-Pacific healthcare uh, sectors like leaders really step up to the plate to improve maturity of carbon reporting, really understanding and digging deep as to, you know, in terms of understanding what their scope one, two, and three emissions are, and also to have a clear strategic roadmap and plan, right, to actually mitigate Uh, the impacts of climate change. So it's not just about making empty promises, saying that, yeah, we want to uh, get on this bandwagon uh, of net zero trajectory, but not really articulating how they would actually do that.
1: I'm very hopeful, despite all the challenges that we've been discussing over the past several minutes. And my hope comes from the young people, the next generation of healthcare leaders and health professionals in this region. Now there's a large conversation among young doctors, but also nurses and other health professionals who are saying we cannot just be treating human patients on a sick planet. We need to take care of both. And so I think that is a, a huge paradigm shift that is happening in healthcare. And it's the young people that are igniting and advancing this cause. And I think that's definitely an important source of hope.
0: Lovely words to end our series on. The future will be driven by young people entering the healthcare sector who are also digital natives. Understanding the origin of emissions and producing effective sustainability roadmaps, including a role for digitalisation, will help us to better manage climate change and decarbonise. Planetary health is a concept here to stay and we need to adopt a systems thinking approach, bringing key stakeholders together not just those in healthcare, to deal with this complex challenge. This is the final episode of the Healthcare Redefined series. Thanks again to our sponsor, Philips, and our guests, Dr. Renard Sue, Robert Metzke, and Dr. Renzo Ginto. If you like what you have heard, please follow the podcast series on your favourite podcast apps or visit the Healthcare Redefined website where you can find all our podcasts, articles, and videos on the digital transformation of healthcare in the Asia-Pacific region. You can find relevant links in the show notes.